back, everybody. This is going to be, we have achieved a milestone. We just did our first 100 episodes, Murph, and now we are ready for episode 101, and nobody better to kick it off we'll talk about with him in just a second. But first, welcome back, guys. Uh, Of course, I'm Morgan Wright here, literally with my partner in crime. Hey, everybody. It's Murph. That's it? That's it. That's all you get today. Murph. I got the snot. Oh boy, the two of us, We, as some of you folks know from listening to our Patreon, we were in the uh, Southern California Gang Conference last week. Long week, very good week. We got out there on Memorial Day. We did Well, one of us got home on uh, Saturday. Both of us left on <laughs> one Saturday. Of one of us Sunday got morning. home on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, Murphy's Law kicked in on that flight. I spent an extra eight hours at the Houston airport. Lucky me. Yeah, man, I, we were both at the airport at the same time. My plane left, left at... Uh, uh, seven, I believe you left at what, like seven thirty, yep. eight, and I got home four and a half hours later. <laughs> I was home by yeah. three o'clock in the afternoon my time. And Murph, where were you at three o'clock? Still stuck in Houston. Yeah, three weeks later, I got home back to Orlando. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're anyway. He's I'm doing this right now from the. Uh, he's doing this from the United Club in Houston right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do that anymore. I let my my membership expire. Uh, they just got too expensive. Uh, you know? Oh, because it's not free. If I'd known no. you were going to be there, you could have walked in with me. Anyway, yeah. thank you guys for joining us. Hey, guys, so just some quick housekeeping before we get into episode 101. Uh, just hit, 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 we're both just still recovering. Guys, head on over to Apple, Spotify, <laughs> hit those five stars, let us know what you think about it. That stuff really helps. It helps us with people who look at us from an advertising perspective, as well as bringing in more listeners. So we appreciate, just give us your comments, let you know, let us know what you think about it. We really appreciate it. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We actually have a book on there that goes with this week's episode, and it's not a book like you think. This is going to be a very special book. So head on over there. We've got our mailing list and uh, episode notes. Also, follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. And if you want to be admitted to the inner sanctum, if you want to get into Game of Crimes fans, where hilarity ensues, memes fly, and feelings are not spared whatsoever. Oh, I, I guess they are. We don't make fun of people unless they're criminals. You got to head on over there. Our okay. favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, rules it with a velvet fist. Um, you just answer a couple questions. Just get in there, guys. No big deal. Um, just a velvet, a velvet fist. I was going to say iron fist, but she's not iron fisted. It's velvet fisted. You still know she runs the place, but it's like you know, she's very not. nice. She drops a meme every, meme every now and then to let them know, hey, the queen's in the house. So don't you all be screwing up. So uh, we do that kind of stuff. So head on over there. But where you got to be, where you got to be is patreon.com, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Just before we recorded this intro, we did our June 911, What's Your Emergency? And I got to tell you, that one had a twist in it beyond a normal twist. And that one, it was it's it's sad kind of stuff. But uh, this is where you put your uh, investigative ears on. You listen to the 911 call, and we see what you can pull out of it like Murph did. Yeah, and and believe it or not, we got this. I got this one right. But that's okay. But see, here's the thing: we start with a nine one one call, and you never know where it's going to go. So head on over there. We got other stuff coming out. We've got our narcometer. Um, we just released that for May. In fact, we're doing a two month special. Last month it was season one of Narcos. Next season it will be uh, season two of Narcos. And Murph, I actually just got an email. And I believe mm-hmm. it was from Linda Maldonado because uh, we were, yes, Linda Maldonado, because we're talking, we're trying to figure out what that word meant. And she said it means decline or descent is the name of episode one. So it was in Spanish. I thought you would have known that. I did. I just wanted to see if anybody else did. 
I'm, I'm glad you threw one out there for the team. Let them. <laughs> so thank hey, you to well, Linda you know Maldonado. When somebody, when somebody speaks Spanish with my accent, it comes out as hola, y'all. You know, I don't use it very often. Not very often. But hey, head on over. We got that coming out. We've got our monthly Q and A that's going to be coming out. This should be a good month for it. We got our case of the month, or our, our uh, when we do our review for our uh, live stream, and then our Warden of the Throne special. So head on over patreoncom slash Crimes. Now, yep, Murph. Yes, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, but you know we never take ourselves serious, and we're not going to start today. We are not. And in honor of our next guest, I got a few stories from Oklahoma, but there's only one way we're going to get to it. I have to ask you, Murph, what time is it? Uh, it's time for Small Town Police Slaughter. Yeah, you're a little slow there, Murph. I know you got home at 2 in the morning. Let's come on, pick it up. Let's go. Well, I, All right. It seems like our, our timing's off here a little bit, looking at each other on the cameras here. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Well, then close your eyes and just pretend, you know, you're listening to me. Which you and never I know do what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, well, guys, uh, back in Chickasha, Oklahoma, and our next guest comes from Oklahoma, so these stories are all about Oklahoma. Chickasha, population 16,051. Salute. Salute. Kicked in the back. These two burglars kicked in the back door of their neighbor's home and stole almost $4,000 worth of stuff. Only one problem. They what stole the deep word? fryer. They oh, stole the deep okay. fryer, Murph. Guess, guess what they forgot to empty out of the deep fryer? The man? Well, no, that comes later. The oil. They forgot the oil. They forgot to dump the oil out of it. So here they are carrying around a deep fryer with oil. The thieves left a trail of grease from the burglarized home all the way back to their home across the street. That's not too bright to break into the house across the street and follow the grease trail, which is actually one of my burglaries. A guy kicked in the door. We followed his footprints in the snow. They knocked That's on the right. door of the burglars and found the items. The men were booked on second-degree burglary, burglary and concealing stolen property. Yay! That's what you want to do is take off your neighbor right across the street. You oh, want. my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, here's one more your speed, Murph. Uh, a man walked into a maternity store in Penn Square Mall, and I looked this up. It's in Oklahoma City, so we can't salute him because they're not a small town. But they walked into Penn Square Mall, and he was trying to he was hitting on the clerk, trying to get the clerk's phone number. This is a maternity store. A maternity store. And invite <laughs> them to lunch on a date. Meet women. <laughs> That's where I went to meet women, right? Oh, boy. There you go. Uh, after the clerk refused, the man purchased a few items and went into the dressing room. Oh, <laughs> he asked for her assistance, and when she went to the dressing room, he was standing there in a bra and crotchless panties. Woohoo! Oh boy, this is getting exciting. Well, my first question is: I get the bra, but what are crotchless panties doing in a maternity store? I don't ask, and I'm, I don't know. Uh, don't, don't, I'm not sure that I want so to know here. She refused to look at him and called the police after he left the store. He was later arrested on a complaint of indecent exposure. Uh, unfortunately, they let him go. Uh, lack of evidence in court later. <laughs> Wouldn't stand <laughs> up, but what can I tell you? Then I'm, I know it's a tired joke. Anyway, hey, Murph, real quick. I thought what I'd do, too, is we'd pull out some weird laws from around the state of Oklahoma. You ready? I'm ready. In Winona, clothes may not be washed in bird baths. Did you know that? Okay. Well, you don't want to make the birds sick. No. <laughs> but have you seen Kevin Jackson's, uh, or Kevin Black's uh, underwear? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those will ever be seen again. Oh. <laughs> oh my. in a landfill <laughs> somewhere. Oh, man. <laughs> Broken arrow. Pigs less than 32 inches in length may be kept as pets, provided there are no more than two in a house. 
Well, Keeping weird well, pets in your house is going to factor into our story. That's all I can say. Bromide. In Bromide, Oklahoma, it is illegal for children to use towels at, as capes and jump from houses pretending to be Superman. Why? Now, come on now. You're taking the fun out of this? If you jump from the house with the towel around, you're only going to do that once. And my theory is let them learn. You know, they won't do it twice. In Shelter, in Shelter, uh, Oklahoma, women may not gamble in the nude, in lingerie, or while wearing a towel. I'm not going Come anymore on. to Oklahoma then. If that Heck no. I, next thing you know, they won't let you smoke or drink in the, in the Oh, my God. Hawthorne, Oklahoma. It is unlawful to put any hypnotized person in a display window. <laughs> Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> And our final hey, I'm going to hypnotize you, and I'm going to put you in a display window. I believe you there for four days. Four days. Where did this come from? And our final law, Murph, this one originally came from West Virginia. Oklahoma copied it because they thought it was good. It is illegal to have the hind legs of farm animals in your boots. <laughs> That's just gross. <laughs> I, think it might have, I think that might have originated Kansas. I'm not sure. That was West Virginia. <laughs> Where men are men and sheep are nervous. All right. We don't have we don't have sheep in West Virginia. Not anymore, man. They all left the state. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, going downhill quickly today. Be- before we all die here, because our chests are killing us that week out there. So we apologize if we sound like snotty and uh, you know coffee yeah. and everything. But that's the way it is. So anyway, hey, let's get into this, uh, Murph. Um, this has been interesting, and I'll let you kick this off. But let me say by saying this is that uh, this was fun. Good old. Good old Midwest boy, Wayne Stinnett. He has been responsible for helping us out a lot. So uh, kick us off. Let everybody know who Wayne Stinnett is. And then I got a quick thing to close out with about something special we're doing. Great. Excuse me for coughing there. Um, got to meet Wayne during uh, covid We went out. He was the president of the A1 conference, which is the uh, Oklahoma Steak Sauce Conference. And- it's it's yeah, a sounds conference like about it, steak. It? Yeah. I mean, and that's you, and let me tell you, they fed us well out there. So, all hats off to you. But it it developed into a friendship, and uh, he has become Wayne has become very prominent here in Game of Crimes in that he introduced guests to us, potential interviewees. He, when we have trouble finding somebody from that part of the world, he reaches out to his contacts. That's how we found Kevin Holtry. Um, he, it, believe it or not, John Mattingly, who we finally got to meet in person this week out in Southern California. He's the one that recommended John, Brian Server, uh, Katie Lawson, who we still haven't gotten on the show, but Katie, I'm eventually going to track you down and get you on here. And then on top of everything out, it turns like turns out he's best friends with uh, Mr. Crappy's Pants himself, Kevin Black from North Carolina. So, I mean, it's, it's like nobody in the world that Wayne either doesn't know or he can't find. You know, this is an investigator. I don't think I'd ever want to investigate me because he's, he's going to get you. But there's something very special we're also doing uh, because Wayne um, asked us to do this and this is the first time we've listed a book that was not done by the author, but it is in memory of his mm-hmm. niece. Uh, his niece uh, developed, I th- believe it was a rare form of cancer, wrote yeah. this book all by herself. And the book is called The Adventures of Someone Ordinary Who Becomes Extraordinary by Abigail Stinnett. We put that up on our book site. Uh, all the proceeds go to, nobody takes a profit all of this. All these profits are donated. Uh, and the book, I mean, it's just he asked us to do this in honor of her, and we said we'd be – I mean, we said we'll do it. Just no. tell us about yeah. the book. So it's listed on our website. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the – when you get the podcast, the link is in there. Go to it. It's uh, You'll find it on Amazon. I put the link in there. Uh, the Adventures of Someone Ordinary Who Becomes Extraordinary by Abigail Stinnett. 
And here's the cool thing about that. This episode is being released on June 5th. Today would have been Abigail's birthday. So I can't uh, think of something more appropriate. And and Wayne, it's just a, an honor for us to be able to do this for your family member, brother, just to say thank you for everything you've done for us. So in honor of Abigail Stinnett. And she and would be, book. I forgot to mention, she would be 17 today um, 17. if she were still with us. Yeah. God bless. So in honor of... In honor of her, Murph, I have to ask you, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes? Absolutely, brother. I mean, this is one of my heroes, so get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Wayne, tell us all about what goes on out there in Oklahoma. All right, we got something exciting here because, for one thing, I didn't know they had this kind of connectivity in Arkansas. But uh, our next guest, <laughs> he's well, coming out of his. Uh, no, he's in Arkansas. Yeah, but oh, you're talking about the internet. <laughs> I'm talking about the internet. They got internet in Arkansas, and this and Wayne Stinnett is proof. So Wayne is coming to us from his hotel room at a narcotics conference in Arkansas. So Wayne Stinnett, welcome to Game of Crimes, bro. Good morning, guys. Hey man, it's Wayne. It's a pleasure to have you on here. This is uh, this is us bringing a friend on, and for our listeners, Wayne is very responsible for yeah. uh, for Game of Crime success in that he helps us find speakers. He makes recommendations, and and like with Kevin Holtry, when we couldn't get a, I couldn't find how to contact Kevin. I contacted Wayne, and you know what? About a day later, I had a phone number to call. So Was, wasn't a, there another Kevin he hooked us up with that had a really crappy story? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin Black, if you're there. listening, dude, that's a story that is going to live forever on these episodes. Yeah, but it's it, it's a true honor to have you on here, Wayne. I'm, I'm glad we were able to capture you. He's, take, he's at a conference taking his time out this morning to speak to us. So thank you, brother. Well, thanks for letting me, uh, thanks for letting me participate in what you guys are doing. Uh, well, no, I no, really we, enjoy it. We appreciate the the fact that you've given us referrals to guests, but now let's make this about you, though. So tell us, you know, Cosa Nostra, thing of ours. Wayne Stinnett, how did you get started in this thing of ours? So kind of, you know, let's not go back to I was a youth in swaddling clothes, you know, but kind of, you know, <laughs> where, where were you at when you started getting this bug for this thing called law enforcement? Well, I, and and I hate to say it that way, but it, it, it almost goes back that far. My, uh, my dad was a cop for about 37 years or so off and on. Um, wow. What, he which, did. Which areas? Um, he traveled around a little bit. He, he started in a little small town, uh, in Northeast Oklahoma named Chelsea, um, went to work for the sheriff's office in that County, uh, Rogers County, which is where I live now. And, um, and then went to be, uh, went, went on to become a, uh, an Oklahoma highway patrol trooper. And he did there that. There you go, for, Murph. Yeah. Murph. Episode is over. You can't make fun of troopers because you'd be making fun of his dad. Uh, well, I can pick on his dad or I can pick on Wayne. We're, we're just going to pick on you, Morgan. How yeah. about that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, he he did that for uh, 10 years or so and then um, actually came back to the sheriff's office in Rogers County, but eventually uh, became the sheriff of Nowata County, which is a county uh, kind of north and east uh, of, of where I'm from. And, uh, and, and he, uh, ran, he, he worked through a couple of, uh, well, he fulfilled, he, he was the undersheriff there to begin with. Then he fulfilled, uh, uh, an unexpired term of a sheriff that resigned and, um, ran a couple of times unopposed there. 
and then got sick and, and had some problems uh, before he passed away and, and lost the third election. So he just decided he retired at that point. So when did he pass away? Uh, January 21st, 2002. Okay. Well, God bless him for his service. 37 well, years you. is a long time. Was Was he on the highway patrol the same time? Was he on uh, the state patrol when the Oklahoma City bombing happened? No, no. He okay. he got out of the patrol about 77, I think. Oh, okay. Got a real so, job. Uh, actually, he was a welder or a truck driver or whatever whatever it took. It, it's kind of funny. He maintained his uh, union card with the Boilermakers Union uh, until he until he quit working. Um, so it was kind of that was kind of a fallback for him. Uh, well, the reason I asked is because I think Charlie Charlie Hanger was the trooper who stopped Timothy McVeigh that day. But yes. I think didn't he didn't he become a sheriff too? Yes, he did. Yeah. See, good troopers make great sheriffs. There you go, Murph. <clears throat> okay, that's your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, hey, now well, I, I will say this: it's better than a fireman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that all our firemen first responders. Good, good to know that. we're just we're one step up for firemen. Yeah, thanks, Murph. Right, there you go. Yeah. Hey, well now, did you move around with him? Was your family together? Or were you guys separated? Or did you guys wherever he moved, did your family go? We we moved around. Um I'm I've I've moved about well where where my family and I live now, that's my thirty ninth move. Say what? Yeah. Damn. You said it uh, sounds like a freaking military family. Are you running you know? from the law or something? Yeah. Interestingly yeah. enough, it's never been outside of Oklahoma. So 39, yeah, 39 different houses in Oklahoma. I didn't know there were that many towns in Oklahoma. Well, several times in different, in the same town, <laughs> several moves within the same town. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Are you sure you're not running from the law, Wayne? I mean, open up, brother. We'll help you out. You know, there's only so many things I can talk about here. Um, <laughs> we're going to keep some of that low-key. Well, just remember, whoever, whoever cooperates first gets the best deal. Yeah. I, 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 trust me, I understand how that works. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to hold on to that for a little bit. We'll come back and revisit that, whether or not there's anything you want to get off your chest with us. But just, you know, let it percolate. Let it stew a little bit, and we'll come back to you. But, uh, there you go. But so, but when did you start? So you were exposed to, but when did you start going? I think this is something I want to do. High school, later. Uh, you know, I got out of high school. Uh, went to uh, Oklahoma Baptist University for a couple of years, and then were you uh, going to be a preacher? No, 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 no. That was uh, my my uh, degree path was for like business management, business administration. Um, but about two years in, uh, OBU and I reached the reached an agreement that my time would probably be spent better somewhere else. Um, <laughs> saved you a little money too, didn't it? Yeah. Saved a little money. Um, <laughs> I didn't really have much of a plan and, and, and it, it, it kind of showed in my academic, uh, efforts. So, um, anyway, I came back home and, and went back to work. And about that time, my dad was working for the Rogers County Sheriff's office as the chief criminal deputy. And I was living with him and he would, uh, you know, I mean, he'd get up in the mornings and head out or get a call someplace and, and, you know, walk by and say, Hey, come go with me. And so, uh, I ended up with a reserve commission there and, and kind of worked with them, with him and, and worked at the sheriff's office, uh, for a while, uh, while I was, while I was there with him, um, I got a job. I actually got a security contract with a um, local jewelry store, and and because I had that reserve commission, and so I 
you know, I, I did that. I did security with those guys for a while, uh, or with that company for a little while and was, a uh, was a bouncer on the weekends at a dance hall while that went on also. And, and, um, the security, the security job while I was there, it was kind of interesting. Um, the guy who had the job who had that contract before me was, um, under investigation by the OSBI. Uh, the, the jewelry company, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, the jewelry company um, had lost a bunch of gemstones over the course of his security contract, and they narrowed it down to him. Um, so I went to work there, and, and after I was there for about two or three months, um, OSBI sets up surveillance and starts running surveillance within the business uh, while they kind of try to lure him in, uh, to, to back into his practice uh, because he would come in and sit down and talk with a couple of the different employees. They had a room where they, you, you viewed gemstones and, and different jewelry items and whatnot. And, and while we were doing or while they were doing that, he actually made off with one, uh, with a, with a fairly nice gem, a fairly nice diamond. Um, and then while that was going on, while they were there, he contacted me, the, the former security guy contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to swap out some, uh, uh, oh, a security, a couple of days of security that work that he was doing at a, at an empty, uh, manufacturing plant. And he said, you know, you have to come out here in the middle of the night at two or three in the morning. And, and then, you know, you have a little key box and you have to go to a certain place and put the key in the box and turn it so it logs where you when and where you were and all that um he said if you'll if you'll do that man that's a that's a quick easy deal i'll pay you for uh for an eight-hour shift and if you'll let me uh come back in and maybe i'll you know we'll both benefit one another i'll i'll do some work at the at the jewelry company and i went in and had a chat with the osbi guys and they said yeah we want you to do that and uh okay so well, now when did you become when did you get read in on you know this basically uh when did you find out osbi was surveilling them were you part of it from the beginning did they come here or did you find no, out they, about it they didn't they didn't really talk to me at all they uh, it was it you couldn't avoid or you couldn't miss them there i mean they walked in with cameras and because behind the counters there was a bunch of two-way mirrors anyway so they just set up surveillance equipment within the store you you knew that they were there also uh, no such thing as covert surveillance oh, no. no 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 <laughs> that, you know as long as you didn't get behind the counters or, or behind the the oh the actual areas where the customers went it, you know you couldn't see you couldn't tell they were there but if you if you walked behind uh the mirrors where the storage areas were, I mean, it was obvious there were like three or four guys sitting back there waiting on things to go on and, and, you know, typical surveillance stuff. They were just hanging out. Um, but I was just this punk kid security, you know, security guy. They didn't really, they didn't really read me into anything until after, uh, this guy approached me. Um, and, and, but it seemed like it would be pertinent. So I kind of said, Hey guys, just FYI, this guy's wanting to swap out some time here for me to do work for him somewhere else. And they were like, yeah, no, no, you, we, we want you to do that. And that lasted for about two weeks and, and they caught him 
stealing some stuff in the store and arresting him. So, um, you that know was what? your first major bust. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't have much to do with the bust, but I was, <laughs> I was there. Well, so. going back to your dad, you know, when he first started bringing you out, because you had come out of college and you're living at home, he's thinking in his mind, he's thinking, this boy's getting a job. You're not going to freeload oh, off yeah, of me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on, getting I'm off get the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> Smart yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I did that for a couple of years. And and uh, basically when he left the sheriff's office, he and the sheriff got, got crossways. Uh, and he left the sheriff's office. And when he left the sheriff's office, so did I, um, and went on and, and didn't really worry about it much until, uh, uh, in 1989, uh, the police department there in Claremore was hiring. Um, and I, I was getting ready to lose a job. The company I was working for, uh, was going through a takeover bid, um, you know, it's the, it's the late eighties. And of course that was kind of the thing that was going on with everybody. Um, and, uh, so knowing that my job was at that company was going to go away, I started looking around and, and thought, you know, Hey, I, I could, uh, I can be a cop in Claremore. That would be cool. Um, I kind of, you know, my wife told me, said, well, you, you ought to go do that cause you do it anyway. You're always watching people. You're always checking stuff out. You're always. Well, that's a little creepy. You know, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I'm always you know. watching people. So, yeah, you're always watching people. We go to the mall. I'm always checking people out. I'm always, well, you know, stuff like habit. that. And, and so anyway, said so you, you might as well do it because you're doing it anyway. So I, I, I applied. I knew the chief there. Um, How big of a town is Claremore and what county is it in? It's in Rogers County in Oklahoma, it's, um, I think the population is probably between 24 and 28,000, somewhere in that, in that range. So you probably uh, had what, 40 officers on that department then? About, about 40 officers. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's actually when I got hired, they had 39 sworn and, um, now they've, they've added, see, I've been retired from there for eight years and I think they've added maybe six, six positions since then but the area is growing pretty, pretty considerably and so you're not too far out of tulsa right we're about 25 miles uh northeast of tulsa so what's what's causing the growth out there uh, what are you bringing in industries or uh, there are some new industries that are coming in it's um because you know for a while oil obviously in that whole area too oil you, you halliburton you know you think about all of that stuff going on the drilling and then you know, obviously things went south for a while. So Kansas, I know not too far north of you guys there, but, you know, they had the beef plants. They had some other stuff come in. But uh, when oil went down, it took a lot of things down with it. Yeah. We're, we're close enough to Tulsa that, that it's an, a really easy commute. It's about a 20-minute drive. Um, so we get a lot of, of uh, commuters um, that work at American Airlines or, or they have a huge maintenance facility there in Tulsa. And, and so we get a lot of that. Um, along with just the other businesses over in Tulsa, but we've also added some industry in the area. Um, they just, they just got a huge contract. I think it's the largest economic, uh, contract in the state's history. Um, I think they just made that announcement last week or something that is going to be, uh, uh, at a port in, um, there, there in Rogers County, there, there's an area there called the port of Catoosa. It's the largest inland port in the United States, and they just continue 
the navigation way uh, to and from that port, there's a lot of development that continues to and from along that along that port, and it's it's just continuing to grow. And so, we're we're seeing a lot of a lot of uh, new industry and a lot of influx of people. Well, you mentioned you mentioned that you're retired, but uh, you, when you retired, you didn't quite quit, did you? No, that that only lasted for about four days. I, I retired <laughs> December thirty first. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that vacation. Yeah, I took a long weekend. Um, I was off over New Year's. It was kind of it was kind of funny because it was the first New Year's I hadn't tried to work security somewhere in in about fifteen years. And uh, uh, anyway, went to work January the fifth of twenty fifteen uh, for my boss, the district attorney there in Rogers. Craig and Mace County. So what, what is the role? What's the position? What do you do? I'm currently the chief investigator for the district attorney's office. So I have a, that's a little unique too. I mean, because, um, there are no, there's no district attorney. I'm just referring to Kansas. There's no district attorney's offices. There's, there's county attorneys, but except for maybe somebody like Sedgwick County, nobody has investigators. Everything's done by the sheriff, you know, or the police department or the KBI, so that's a little unique, at, at least in the area I was in. Is that unique for you guys, or are there other counties that have DAs with investigators? Not not every county in Oklahoma has investigators, but but the majority do. Um, you know, we we do a lot of follow up. We you know we I think our office has uh, twelve attorneys. Uh, now, do you guys have original jurisdiction over things, or do, are you guys just more? Uh, you, when the case comes to you, you do additional work and follow up, or do you guys initiate some of your own cases? No, we initiate some of our own as well. Um, we we do a lot of follow up, but we we initiate some of our own as well. Uh, I've had, uh, I mean, several several come to me directly, um, and it just it's just worked out that way. That that uh, rather than referring it on to somebody else, it, it was uh, it was a good case for us to work, and so we did it. How do you how do you work then with the uh, the police department, the sheriff's office, uh, you know OSBI? How do you guys deconflict um, when you, when you're like doing when you do when you get the primary juris, the original jurisdiction on it? I mean, how do you guys work together and deconflict things? Well, we you know we have uh, we have a method there in Oklahoma. We have uh, you know a way to deconflict those cases. Uh, you know we can call that in or or, or email. You know connect with that to make sure no one else is working on the same bad guy. Um, the way that the cases that we have worked have come in, you, you know, I mean, they, they end up calling us first for some reason. Um, and, and I'm not really sure why I know one of the cases I worked, um, had to do with a, with a doctor that was, um, uh, actually was getting some of his patients addicted and then was splitting scripts with them. And, and, uh, the way I found out about it was a, a lady that I knew in the community. I'd known her since she was uh, a, a kid, um, called me and, and told me she thought her husband and the doctor were, were in, in cahoots together, uh, dealing dope. And, and as it turned out, it, they, they kind of were, and, and he was kind of doing that. So, um, you know, we've had some other things that come up. Sometimes people, uh, and you guys will relate to this. You'll understand this. Sometimes people think that that uh, different agencies aren't aren't following through or aren't aren't paying them attention the way they should, aren't aren't paying their ca- paying attention to their cases the way they should, and um, or for or or for reasons personal reasons. Uh, I, I I know uh, 
I, I know that this deputy doesn't like me or this police officer doesn't like me. So, um, I can't report it to that agency because they won't do their job. So we need, you know, I want to call you guys first. Um, that, that's, that's never actually the case, but at, at least in their mind, you know, that's, that's what motivates them to call us. So um, I take it it was opioids then? Yes. Yeah. With the doctor, it was opioids. You bet. Man, that's, that sounds so much like that, uh, special on, uh, I think it was Hulu with Michael Keaton. They did called dope sick about that doctor in West Virginia. Same thing ended up, they started coming out with Oxycontin and, you know, other stuff and then upping the things and everybody, including him got addicted. I mean, it's a real story. Yeah. Yeah. That, it was a real deal. That, that, um, is that an, is that an issue? I mean, cause I know you have Indian nations, uh, down there, you've got, uh, a, I mean, a huge, uh, chunk of, uh, Oklahoma, I say huge, but you know, a large part of that ride is Indian Nation, but you've got all sorts of other things. How big of an issue is the opioids down there in Oklahoma? You know, at, when I started at the police department, one of the, uh, one of my mentors through my, through my career, uh, was a guy named Roy Dowd and Roy worked as a diversion officer for a period of time for the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics. He kind of got me involved in, in working doctor shoppers. Now, that was back in 89 when I started. So probably 90, 91, he kind of introduced me to, uh, as to how to work those cases. And that long ago, I could have worked those cases five days a week. Um, there, there was, there was plenty of work to do then just on those kind of, of cases. Um, just, just addiction based stuff. Um, it hasn't gotten any better since then. I mean, it, if nothing else has gotten worse. You know, Wayne, I'm I'm on a, uh, an advisory committee for a company out of Minneapolis that makes a product that will do away with pre- prescription medications in the home. It's biodegradable. It's economic. You know, it's ecologically sound. And during one of our annual meetings, we had some some ladies come in from uh, the Midwest and talked about the opioid issues in the rural counties. And you know, and, and I mean, those are you, you kind of look at those folks as, as you know, that's the heart of America. And you don't expect them to have drug addictions to synthetic drugs, to opioids, to things like that. But the fact is, they do a lot of self-medicating out there because they're not making a lot of money on some of those farms and ranches. And and when they get a hold of drugs, you know, they're taking them, but they're not controlling what they're taking. And they end up addicted to it. It was I was shocked to hear about that. But it sounds very familiar to what you're talking about there in Oklahoma. You know, because you wouldn't expect it to be that severe of a problem, but man, it's everywhere. Well, and and a lot of what I dealt with was um, somebody would have a legitimate injury. They would they would have a uh, a knee injury or a back injury or or something that was uh, you know a legitimate problem. They would go see a doc. Um, the the doc would write them a script. You know it, that would that would uh, linger on for a little bit. The, the the person would come back and need some more that they're developing an addiction a, a tolerance and so they 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 need another prescription the doc gives them another prescription they're they're still seeing them for the problem um after about six months or so though you know the doc finally looks at the record and says holy crap they're addicted and i, I can't do that i mean i'm that, that's going to affect my licensing and so a lot of the times right you know they just cut them off we just i'm not writing you any more prescriptions, which, which forces that person to go to another doctor. Well, that doctor doesn't, uh, 
their their problem by then isn't as bad as it as it was when they initially saw the first doc. Um, so they don't write them a prescription for as much. Well, then the next thing you know, they're going to two doctors to try to get that and not telling the, the second one about the, the third and, and so on and so on. And the next thing you know, um, now, now there are steps in play or, or, or processes in place now to kind of prevent that from happening. The doctors check the prescription monitoring program and see what prescriptions they are getting and that kind of thing. But before that was really in place, um, I, I, I worked a lot of those cases where again, it was addiction based. Um, but I had one guy that was, um, he was seeing 22 different doctors at the same time. That's all he did was, was go from doctor to doctor. And wow. he had a, a ledger that, uh, kept him up to speed with what prescriptions went to what pharmacy from which doctor. So he didn't cross, you know, uh, cross paths with any of them. And, and so he didn't get reported. Um, and, you know, we ended up running a search warrant on his house and, and, you know, he's so paranoid at the time he, uh, we, we, we got the stuff from his house. He actually was there. We, 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 he showed up while we were there. So we get him in custody and we're leaving, we're driving away. And, uh, he's in, he's in the truck in front of me with one of my, one of my partners. And all of a sudden the truck just stops. And the guy gets out of the truck and he runs over to a rock pile on the side of the road and he throws some rocks off this rock pile and grabs something under it and runs back to the truck, gets back in the truck with my partner. And we drive on to, uh, back, back to the sheriff's office at the time when we get there and say, Hey, what's that all about? And he goes, well, when he drove by before he came to the house, he saw that we were there. So he hid his dope, what he had left, he hid under those rocks and while we were driving past, he said, man, I know you guys are going to find this. So just let me go get it. <laughs> and so he, <laughs> he pulls over on the side of the road. He runs over to this rock pile and grabs, grabs a prescription bottle full of pills. And, and, wow. uh, you know, we go on, but. Well, we, we executed a search warrant one time, um, working with the sheriff's office. We had a series of burglaries at pharmacies, um, in the county and the city. And we ended up figuring out who it was with search warrants. And I opened up this cupboard. And all of these empty prescription bottles start falling out, Percocet, you know, and stuff like that. Um, Oxy wasn't big back then, but it, it was interesting. I remember this guy's name. He's probably long since dead. But looking at him, to your point, um, Wayne, he had gotten to the point where the doctors, in a small area, they go, hey, look, I've seen this before. They're, they they talk and stuff. So what he did to get extra stuff, he actually cut the top of his little finger off on his left hand. Oh, so he could so he could get more pain pills. This is how bad it got for some folks. So when we're talking with him, we're interviewing him. I said, "How'd you get that injury?" Well, he starts, you know, you know, you you know, from interviews and stuff and interrogations, is like starts giving you bullshit answers. So that's not what happened. He says, "Yeah, I, I mean, I did it." He treated it as a workplace accident, but he did it himself so he could right. get more pain pills. Uh, w- one of the other guys that I dealt with, I I arrested, uh, I'd arrested him about four times. Um, I sat down and was, was interviewing him and he, he told me, he said, Hey, Wayne, I can get, I can get pills from any doc in the, in, in the state right now. I said, well, so what do you do? He said, well, I go in and he was a really clean cut guy. He's a, he's a, he was a veteran. Um, you know, he looked like he was in, in decent shape. He was taken care of, um, take, took care of himself. He says, I go in with a long sleeve shirt on with a, 
with like a button down shirt. I start talking to them about, I have pain that or that originates in my back, but it radiates around kind of into my groin. And he said, you know, the first thing they're going to do is send me in to, to give them a, a, a urine sample. Uh, he says, I'll go in the bathroom, roll up my sleeve. I'll have a band aid across a, a small cut that I, that I keep on the back of my elbow. Um, I'll pick the scab off of that and squeeze some blood into my urine. Um, and then take the bandaid out of my pocket and put it back on, on my arm, roll my sleeve down, take my little urine sample out. They'll see I've got blood in my urine. They'll assume I've got kidney stones. And he said, I, I'll, I'll get, I'll get uh, pain pills from every doc I go see. I'll do that every time. Um, wow. and, and I mean, that's just, he had the scam down to an art and, and that's, that's what he did. But the links they'll go to, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, in fact, that guy, uh, he was he was he was in the county jail about about two weeks ago, uh, again. So, repeat offender. You know what? I mean, we have good job security in law enforcement, don't we? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, no shortage of clients. Yeah, and, and it's generational too. I remember arresting uh, the sons of the fathers who I'd arrested too. You know, and it's like I arrested mm-hmm. your dad, and, I'm, oh, and yeah. then some guy, older guy I'm working with that arrested the grandfather. So, hey, yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's kind of go back in time a little bit because I want to go back. You sent us a couple stories, and this one, remember, don't give it away yet. Uh, let's talk about Brian Lee Grop because there are sometimes this is unique too because there are sometimes you have relationships with people who are on the other side of the law, but they're not contentious relationships. In fact, they end up kind of. There was one guy who ended up becoming an informant for me. My wife used to joke I was like his counselor. You know, I'd break up with his girlfriend. I'd get a call about that. You know, what do I do? You know, and it's oh, like, oh gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about this guy, Brian Lee Grob. So, you'd moved out of patrol into investigation. So now you're a fully fledged detective. You're yeah. investigating things. What what's that, Murph? Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Okay. Boy, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you're now you're now making cases, and you do one of the fun things we love to do as detectives, right? Trash pulls. You like oh, to yeah. hop into that smelly, stinky trash and go rooting around like a hog <laughs> looking for a, you know, yeah. for food. You're finding truffles, yeah, no doubt, and and uh, yeah, we do too much of that, but uh, yeah. So I, I, Brian was that case was an interesting deal. He lived in a, a kind of a nicer little neighborhood. Um, uh, and, and we'd, we'd been getting some information. I had had a couple of guys come to me and say, you know, Hey, this guy's, uh, we think this guy's up to no good. He's at the time, you know, of course, everybody's dealing with meth. And, um, so we had, you know, we were working that trying to figure out how to, how to get there. Um, I didn't have any, any informants at the time that knew him or, or knew, and, and I knew who was living there, but, um, but, but didn't really know him. He's nobody I'd had, had any contact with. Um, so nobody, nobody could get me into him for, for, you know, to, to buy any dope, buy any weed, buy any meth or anything. So we, we did a trash pull, um, and probably a couple. And let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause there's some people that are going to get, well, don't you need a search warrant? Well, if it's, and this is one of the unique things too, if it stays on their property, you can't go on there and do that. But the minute they put it into the street, where it's no mm-hmm. longer, as they say in the courts, it's no longer on the curtilage of the property. Right. But once it's out there in the street, dude, it's it's anybody's trash. Yeah, when they put it out, when they put it out for the trash guys to pick up, it 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 becomes public domain. 
And so, uh, yeah, pulled, pulled trash on, on, uh, Brian's place a couple of times and came up with, with enough evidence out of the trash that I got a search warrant for the house. Um, uh, Brian and his wife had a couple of kids that, that lived there, a couple of boys and they, uh, they were, they were kind of known to us, just nothing huge. They just kind of were always into some little trouble for one reason or another. Um, so we, we kind of were familiar with that part of it, but, but didn't know the parents at all. Um, so we do what we do. I mean, I, I got the search warrant. I had, um, a couple of the patrol guys that had, had been talking to me about it uh, and about that, that house. Um, we executed that search warrant on, on the shift that they were working so they could be involved and grabbed a group together. We, we went up and, um, actually kind of tried to soft knock the place. We didn't, we didn't kick the door in or anything like that. We, we, uh, had some guys run around to the back of the house to cover that. We, uh, I, I walked up and, and knocked on the door. Now it wasn't, you know, like, uh, uh, knocking on the door to, to say, Hey, uh, you know, I'm selling Amway. Would you guys, would you guys like some? I've smacked the door pretty hard, but, but, uh, to get their attention. Um, and, and the wife comes to the door. Um, a little girl named, a little lady named Sherry. Um, she comes to the door. Yeah. What's going on? And, uh, you know, at that point, now we're inside, um, push our way through and, and I'm talking to her, you know, get out of the way, get her, get her secured as we're walking in directly across from the, from the front door of the house. It's kind of a weird setup for the house, but directly across from the front door of the house is, is a bathroom, uh, that's connected to the living room. And as we walk in, I I can see Brian, he's standing, he's standing at the toilet, uh, peeing. And, um, he just kind of looks at me like, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, we're pointing guns at him and, and, and telling him to get his hands up. And he's like, Hey, look, dude, give me a chance to finish. It'll be all right. <laughs> I could uh, just do that. Get your hands up, turn around. No, no, stay where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, if you had a gun pointed at you, you might stop the stream if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was calm as a cucumber. Uh, he just, um, yeah, he just kind of looked over his shoulder or, or, you know, to the, to the right and, and said, Hey dude, look, give me just a second. It'll be all right. <laughs> and so he finishes up, zips his pants up and, and, and then just kind of really calmly, like he's, like he's laying down on the floor, like he's doing a push up or something. He just kind of gets oh, no, down no, no, no. and you goes to the, the floor. Part, though. He had good hygiene. He washed his hands before <laughs> this, right? You're right. He did. He actually stopped and washed his hands. <laughs> Cause he knew he was going to be handcuffed and he was thinking of you. He didn't he, want you touching he was, potentially yeah, you urine stained hands. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm not sure that his thought was, his thoughts were of, of taking care of us at that point. It was more, you know, Hey, look, this is just one more thing I can, I can make Delay. these guys, uh, yeah, wait on, you know, so one more chance for me to delay all of that. So we get him on the ground. Now they've got three pit bulls in the house. And, and of course, you know, now thank goodness they, they weren't, they weren't mean, but you know, you don't make that assumption and they're, they're <laughs> barking and growling at us, but they're not trying to bite anybody. Um, and, and those two, Sherry and Brian are, are begging us, don't shoot the dogs. Don't shoot the dogs. Well, we're not going to shoot the dogs. They're not biting us. It's all good. 
we're going to get them out of the house. Um, so we're going through that. We finally get those things uh, moved out of the house. They go out into the backyard. And um, now it's time to search the house. We, right? we get ready to start searching the house. Um, now before, you, before you get into it, we kind of know because he, like I said, he did a write up on this. So, but there's a lot of weird shit you found when you've searched houses before, right? And trailers and cars, right? Oh, absolutely. Before, before we talk about what's like some of the weirdest stuff you found during a search warrant. Oh, uh, golly. Uh, now you're going to make me think. Um, Sir, I know you're from Oklahoma. That's kind of a challenge, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there are certain things that you always find in search warrants, especially, especially drug warrants. And, and, you know, we worked mess so hard for so long. Um, I mean, they've always got a drawer full of some sort of sex toys or another. And that always, you, go. you know, golly, every time you open that, it's like, Oh, nope, I found it. Never mind, I, You know, and, and you move on. But, um, you know, wh- whatever it is, that's important to someone, uh, for whatever weird reason, you, yeah, you're going to find it. And, and it's, 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 it, there's always something that's kind of kind of strange, but well, and this one thing I will tell you after reading this, I've never heard of it where I was at. Uh, I don't know that Murph, if you've heard of it, uh, I mean, you might have. There might have been some areas, maybe Miami might have had uh, something unique like that. But uh, this this was one of those weird things, right? So, kind of walk us through that. So, as you do with any search warrant, you start to search the house, right? Well, one of the places- you know, we're 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 gonna we're we're checking the house for other people. We're, this is a two story house, and so we're checking the house for other people. We're we're you know feeling pretty confident that that everything's uh, secure, um, but we really haven't looked into the bathroom where where Brian was standing because you know I mean he was the only guy in the bathroom. Um, but I walk in into that bathroom and and I'm uh, just kind of doing a quick look around. Um, there's nothing obvious that's laying out or anything. Um, but the, the shower curtain is drawn across the shower. Um, but I kind of hear a little noise. So I, I, I reach over and I push the shower curtain back and, and he has a four foot Cayman crocodile in the bathtub. <laughs> I can keep mine. Yeah. Who, who puts a, I mean, um, so we'll, we'll have to get into this, but it's like of all the things you thought you were going to find. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody talked to me about a crocodile. I, I didn't expect <laughs> to find that, and and not in Claremore, Oklahoma. No, that's. Uh, um, so I'm I'm sitting there looking at that thing, and it actually kind of hisses at me. And I, I, at that point, I decided it was a good idea to get out of the bathroom and shut the door, and you know, put something between <laughs> me and that thing. Now, did he have um, water in it? Was it basking? Was it going for a swim? Yeah. Um, it was it was in about six or eight inches of water. Um, just kind of just kind of laying in the tub. Um, and, and so I, I stepped, I said, my God, what is that? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's my crocodile. And I, Holy crap. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Can you even have a crocodile? I mean, you know, is that, and he's like, yeah, I guess nobody said I couldn't. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so <laughs> I get to, more enough. yeah, yeah. Well, I get to talk to him about that thing. And I, you know, so I, 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 how long have you had that? I mean, how did you get that here? And he said, well, it was only about eight or 10 inches long when I, when I bought it. Um, and, and I think they had been in, in Louisiana or somewhere and, and bought a, a little eight inch or 10 inch crocodile for some reason. 
Uh, and I said, well, so it's like a pet. I mean, what do you do? He goes, no, hell no. That, that thing's, that's a dinosaur. That thing will eat you. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't do anything with that. I said, so you so can't, you don't walk you it. You don't, with it? Yeah. Well, unless you don't put it on a leash and take it for a walk well, around. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. He, he said, oh, oh no, that thing, that thing will eat you. He said, he said, I'm only keeping it long enough so that once it gets big enough that I can get a pair of boots made out of it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's when I'm going to, that's when I'm going to, I'm going to kill it. So see, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Steve? <laughs> yeah. That's what we call the alligator that comes to visit us. My wife calls him big Al. I call him boots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was his plan with that silly thing. Um, you know what? Yeah. And considering the food and the the expense, that's going to be one expensive pair of boots. It would have been cheaper just to pie the boots and just be done with it. And that's oh, the truth. You know, and and so it's laying there in the in the tub. And I thought, man, if it gets much bigger, it's going to get. I mean, surely it, it could get out of that if it wanted to. Um, and I and I asked him. I said, so you you just kind of leave it in there? Let you know? You go, oh, oh yeah, no, it's it's it. It hadn't given us any problems so far. I said, well, you're going to come home one of these days and it's going to be full of pit bull. You know, I mean, it's, those dogs aren't going to, aren't going to fight it off very well. And it's going to be some stuff full of dog that it's, you know, you're going to walk in and find this, this alligator on the floor that can't reach its feet, you know, to the floor because it's so full of dog. Or he's going to be standing there peeing again. And next thing you know, you got an alligator on your leg. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. Or worse. So, <laughs> hey, honey, listen, honey, I'm going to take Buffy out for a walk here. Yeah. <laughs> so what the crocodile. hell did he feed it? I mean, just chicken, meat, whatever, you know, so it, it, it's not like you, you know, put the, put the leftover vegetables in the, in the bathtub with it. Uh, you know, he just, uh, again, it's, it's got a, it had to have been expensive to feed. That's see that's that's the that's the idiocy of this whole thing. You consider mm-hmm. that's what I was asking. How much does chicken cost? Meat cost for four years now to grow this thing. By the time you get done, you got a pair of boots that's worth like ten grand, yeah. as opposed <laughs> to buying a croc. You know, buying a pair of boots for three hundred. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe he was uh, disposing of his friends there in the bathtub. You hey. know, like from the little Scarface days. Stranger things. I I, I don't <laughs> think uh, I don't think he it was quite. Uh, uh, I don't think Brian was quite that mean, but, but stranger things, you never know what's going to happen. So. But you said in, like I said, but you mentioned too, that this, this obviously wasn't his first brush with the law. He was just kind of cool about it. What, what was his, uh, cause there was a couple of things he was worried about. And you mentioned in here, he's worried about the Vagos. You know, we know, yeah. I know from that area, that's one of the most, it's not a huge, uh, outlaw motorcycle gang, like some of the others, but, uh, they're a problem. Brian was actually from Southern California. Um, he had a pretty lengthy criminal history. Uh, he was living, uh, he was actually living in Claremore under an assumed name. Uh, he, he, he went by the name Pat Arthurs, um, because, because of his criminal history and because, uh, he was uh, at some point, he never told me why. I mean, he and I talked, uh, for years after that. Um, he never told me why he, he ran away from Southern California, but at one point he left Southern California and went to Las Vegas for a period of time. Um, specifically he said to get away from the Vagos. He, he was a, he was a member, he was a club member, a gang member there with the Vagos in Southern California. And he had decided it was time for him to, to get out of that for whatever reason. And he, he ran to Las Vegas. Um, I think, I think that's where he met Sherry and they ended up in, in <laughs> small town, Oklahoma, uh, hanging out, uh, 
just just trying to make a living. Um, he, you know, Brian was a, you know, he was going to smoke weed for the rest of his life. I think um, he he had an addiction problem with meth that that raised its head from time to time. Um, uh, but he and Sherry were together, and they they stayed together until she passed away. Um, and he, but he also uh, helped you out though, right? I mean, so he did. Out of this, did he end up uh, help? He helped you made some uh, cases after this. He, but why he, did he, he do did. that though? You know, he and I, I, I mean, we just, we just got along. It was kind of interesting. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were, uh, close friends, you know, we didn't, we, <laughs> it, we didn't go to dinner together. We didn't do that things. So we, you know, he understood there was a, there was a line that, that just wasn't going to get crossed. Um, but he would come in. I mean, it's kind of like you said earlier, he was one of those guys that would have a, uh, he'd ba- have a bad day or, um, or something really good would happen and he'd end up in, uh, you know, in my office wanting to talk about it. Um, you know, he, when, when I first met him, uh, as we talked and he told me his, you know, some of the story about, about his involvement with the motorcycle gang, um, he said, man, I haven't had a Harley in, in years and I'm really looking forward to the day that I can get another one. But, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to do that without a job and I'm, I'm trying to find work and, and, so at one point he got a job, um, and, and got a good job. He was, he's another guy that was a welder and, and, and had some skill. Um, so he got a good job and, and he's working and he, so he came in to tell me about that. Um, and then, uh, you know, a few months later, the next thing I know he's rolling in on Harley and he wants to come show it off and, and talk to me about, you know, man, I, I finally got it. Oh, you know, okay, that's cool. And, and so as that progressed, as that went along, I mean, um, you know, he, he, uh, the way he described it to me was that, you know, he did really well with the addiction issues as far as, uh, meth was concerned. And he said, but sometimes some of my old friends show up and, and they'll, they'll bring a bag with them and they shake that under my nose and I dive in and, and I, you know, it's just something that's really hard for me to stay away from. Um, and so when those things would happen, when he'd get there, I wouldn't see him for months on end, but then he'd get, he'd get clean again. And then he'd want to come talk to me. That's it. You know, it's, and I, I just want to point out to our listeners here that, that what you see on TV, the way people portray police officers is not real life. You know, we're not all jumping up in front of somebody's face and threatening them immediately and sticking a gun up their nose and that kind of thing. Here, I mean, you're using common sense. You're treating him with respect and as a human being when you first approached him. And it developed into, I I guess you could say, an unlikely uh, relationship. I don't know if you call it a friendship. But to the point where, you know, here's a tough guy who rode with a motorcycle gang who's willing to come in and share good and bad with you, knowing at times that he could be uh, incriminating himself to a certain degree, especially after he's been using meth. But that's, and and the point here is that that's more typical of law enforcement, I think, than what the public knows. You know, they they see that crap on TV and they always try to portray the cops either as the bad guys or the tough guys. And, you know, they really don't show the human compassion side of law enforcement. And I think that's why you had this relationship with with, uh, this guy, with Brian. Well, it it was interesting because he would, I mean, you know, uh, I never, Brian was one of those guys that I never, really dreaded 
you know, I'd, if I were, if I was in my office and I got a call from, from the dispatchers or something that said someone was, was, uh, in, in the lobby wanting to speak with me, I walked around the corner and saw that it was him. I really never dreaded sitting down with him. He was, he was always really reasonable and, and, and what he wanted to talk about or, or how he wanted to approach things. Um, as opposed to some, some people that, that come in, I mean, um, the wackadoodles. Oh, I've got one guy that, that <laughs> I've known for 35 years. Uh, and, and bless his heart. He's, he has helped me. Uh, I've made, I've made a lot of cases behind him, but he comes in and, and it's always drama. There's always more that, you know, I mean, and, and it just, you know, now try to treat him well, try to, try to be nice to him and, and, and listen and, and help with what I can. But, um, you know, the, that particular guy, I mean, he's been in prison more of his life than he's been out. And there's only so much you can do with, to, to help people when they've, when they've, uh, you know, built a lifetime of a certain kind of lifestyle, um, you can't change that in five minutes of conversation, but, uh, um, yeah, and they don't want to help themselves. It's a lot of yeah, times they don't. And, uh, but Brian wasn't one of those guys. Brian was somebody that, that, um, you know, he, he, he always, he, he worked, he, I mean, you know, he wasn't somebody that I had access to, to, to funds, to money, to help, you know, informants or pay informants or whatnot. Um, Brian was never a guy that came in looking for money. Um, you know, somebody would violate whatever his moral code was and, you know, show up and expose themselves to him in one way or one fashion or another. Uh, they'd, they'd, they'd have warrants or they'd, they'd be trying to do something that he didn't agree with. And, you know, he would, he would turn me onto that and I would go and he'd help me go take care of it. You know? Wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, he, um, so, but what happened was he right. He ended up moving back to California, though, right? Uh, Sherry passed away. She she contracted cancer and passed away, um, and that kind of sent him for a loop. Um, they they were they were a committed couple, and and um, he kind of he kind of got lost for a little bit. Um, he would come in and see me and kind of mope around and and just couldn't really get back on his feet. Uh, he ended up meeting another woman, um, and, and I actually ran into them and in, in Walmart and he made a point to drag her over and introduce her to me and, uh, told me at that point he was, he, he, he thought that they were going to move out back out to California. They moved, uh, oh, probably within the next six months, I think they moved out to Fresno and he was out there for a couple of years before, before he passed away. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.